Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, what's up, church family? I hope this finds you doing well and having an incredible week. Uh, I want to take a second and just tell you how much we love you and just how much we appreciate you. And you, we are getting to be a part of something really special and really sweet in these days. And I want to tell you thank you for your radical generosity um, this past week. Um, with the snowstorm and just the winter, just the apocalypse that came in uh, to Texas. And you guys have been uh, just above and beyond with your generosity of loving people, inviting people into your home, sharing milk and eggs and small necessities, inviting people over to take showers or even church. Many of you guys um, went above and beyond to love a young man and a young woman who lost everything in the apartment fires in San Antonio. Lost everything, including their cats, and you guys came alongside of this family, and you not only just gave uh, and were radically generous with gifts, but it's like you also invited this young man into your life and began to love him, and I'm just so grateful for you, church. I'm proud of you for really leaning into this season. And so, and it was so sweet for us. Uh, many of us Monday morning at 7 a.m. jumped on a, uh, a prayer time and uh, something that we're just doing over the course of the next 40 days in Lent. And so the Lent season, I'm encouraging you, inviting you, what would it look like to just pray every single day? Not for like an hour, for like five minutes. And on Mondays, join us at 7 a.m. So I just wanted to just encourage you, church. Uh, well, we're, we are two weeks into a sermon series that we're calling Meant for More, where we're journeying through the book of Acts. And uh, here's what I know about every single one of you that's tuning in. Every one of you, um, when you were a kid, felt like you were destined for something big. Like all of us, everyone I've talked to, and the reason I believe that's true is deep down inside, you know that your life was meant for more. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Acts and looking at the early church and what it was that they lived for that allowed them to experience more. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to meet me in Acts chapter 18, which is the New Testament. Don't feel bad about going to the table of contents. Acts chapter 18. And we're going to meet a lot of people through this text today. And the best way that I can describe chapter 18 is that it's like a yearbook for the first church in Corinth, the city that we're going to be hanging out in. And I don't know if you remember yearbook day or not. Um, it was the special day where you get up early and you would put on your you know, starched guest jeans and that Gap polo and I'd use LA looks to slick my hair back or spike it up just right and part it, put on my basketball shoes just looking like and feeling like a million bucks. 
Now looking back, uh, those pictures are actually probably better used for blackmail, and I'm convinced that that's why uh, you take middle school yearbook photos is so that you, your parents can look back and be like, see, and if you ever do anything to disobey, I'm going to show the world this photo. So uh, I thought, why not show you a few uh, yearbook photos uh, of some of our team members? And so you can take a look at this photo. This is Austin Johnson looking super fresh in that blazer uh, with his family. Still super cute kid. Uh, this next one is Marcus Gabriel, uh, and uh, actually, I don't know if he's changed one bit. This photo looks exactly the same. This next one is Soul, uh, which shows you just a little bit of her crazy side and just her love for life. Uh, this next one, um, I can't believe she's letting me show this, but this is Georgie. Uh, that crimped hair or perm or whatever is going on. Uh, maybe we can talk her into bringing it back. Uh, this photo here of Aria um, with those, uh, man, definitely pop it off with that, those braces, rubber bands matching that green shirt. Uh, but we love her regardless. Now this next one, I may get in trouble for showing you, but this is my lovely wife um, back in the day and uh, looking super cute. Um, still love her and super glad that I married her. Uh, and then this last one, this is me. Oh, wow. Well, church, you're, you're welcome uh, for that. Well, the reason that I show you that is because a yearbook is a snapshot of what life was like that year, right? And I want today to be an opportunity for us to zoom out from your day-to-day. -day. And if we could take a snapshot of your life right now, like what would it say about you? What would it say that you value? What would it say that you invest your life into? And as you hear the story of this church today, I want you to zoom out and to think about what is it that you're giving your life to as we look at what they gave their life to? In Acts 18, it introduces us to several people, and we see what it was that they were remembered for. And most importantly, we see a snapshot of how God accomplished his plan, which is to make disciples. Um, this chapter represents about 18 months in the early life of the Corinthian church. And here's the main takeaway. This is what I want you to hear if you hear anything today, is that God accomplishes his plan through everyday people. God accomplishes his plan through ordinary, everyday people. That's what this yearbook is going to try to tell us, that there is a God who has a plan to make disciples, and his intention is to use everyday people to carry it out. And so we're going to read Acts 18, and then we're going to see three signs to know if you and I are living out God's plan for our life. Or maybe another way to put it is if we're living for more. So after this, verse 1 says, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So if you've spent any time in the Bible, you'll recognize Corinth. Why? Because that's where the Corinthians live. And the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthian church that appear in the New Testament. And today we're going to see the beginning of this church that was so near and dear to the heart of Paul. And the first people who show up in the Corinthian yearbook are Priscilla and Aquila. And they've literally been kicked out of in their country under religious persecution and they have arrived in Corinth as refugees. And that, that is where God begins with two refugees. Think about this. Like how is God going to use them begins with the total upheaval of their lives. When life looked like it was totally finished and they were just like in survival mode in this new city, God was just beginning to use them in his plan. This, this needs, that should be an encouragement and that should challenge some of us today that God takes what looks like dead ends and he uses them as beginnings. Maybe you're in a dead end situation right now. Maybe life hasn't turned out how you expected. Maybe you haven't gotten that promotion or you've lost a job or you're still single or as you've been praying that maybe God would give you a family and that you would have kids and he still hasn't seemed to like have delivered. Like maybe it feels like a dead end. But I want you to know that that's where God oftentimes is just beginning to get his plan rolling. It's great news that your plan might look like a dead end, but God is just getting started with you. That God uses everyday people with everyday problems and everyday situations to carry forward the greatest hope in the world. And it's not just that he can use you, it's that he plans to use you. Let's keep reading. And it says this, and he went to see them. I'm talking about Paul. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So it says essentially they made tents during the week, talked about Jesus at night, and then on his day off, he went and preached. So talk about the life of a church planner. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Finally, the interns have arrived. Now, Paul can devote more time to evangelizing and preaching the gospel. So he kind of puts down the tents and he gets to it like every day. Now, real quick, this statement, your blood be on your own heads, uh, this can come across uh, strange and like something maybe that you would hear an angry fundamentalist say. 
like, you know, share Christ with your friends, and if they don't believe, just look at them and scream, your blood be on your own heads. Uh, I haven't seen that in any of my uh, evangelism training. But unless you think that Paul is lacking compassion here, remember, these are the same Jews that Paul longs to see come to faith. But he knows all he can do. Like, all he can do is share the gospel with him. He can't open their eyes. He can't change their heart. And, and Paul feels a burden that unless he shares the gospel with him, he in some way shares in the guilt of their condemnation. Two chapters later, he's going to say this. He says, I testify that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul knows that he can't control someone's response. And Jonah 2.9 tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord, not to Paul. But God's plan for him is to declare Christ to them. That's Paul's yearbook, bio. Preach to the Jews and Gentiles to follow Jesus. Church, be encouraged is just a side note. Your job is not to sell Jesus to people like he's a vacuum cleaner and go door to door knocking. Our responsibility is, as believers, is just to point to Jesus, to just talk about him, to just be a spotlight on him. And ultimately, God does all the rest. My question though is, do you and I carry that same urgency for our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus? Do we, do we care that urgency about other people's souls that are at stake? Or do we feel that we must share the gospel with them? That urgency in sharing the gospel with those we love is what we must take away from Paul here. Let's keep reading, verse seven. And he, talking about Paul, left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God, which ultimately this just means that he was a Gentile who loved Jesus. So um, it says, his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. This is beautiful. They're baptized just like we got to celebrate Sydney's baptism and just like many other people at Basis today are celebrating their death to life story. We're sharing in an ancient, beautiful symbol. But these next two pictures in the Corinthian yearbook are of Titius and Crispus, a Gentile believer and a Jewish believer. And Titius puts his neck on the line by housing Paul. And Crispus does the same just by being a synagogue ruler who has come to faith. Like they're, they're, they're putting their lives out there. Both of these guys risk a lot. Crispus uh, especially is putting his job on the line by believing in Christ. And Titius is putting his neck out by housing a guy that is on the most wanted list. There's an angry Jewish mob building and it's going to come after the guy in the guest room. Their bios might read, gave up reputation or risked their career to follow Jesus. But the verse ends with, many Corinthians believed. 
This is the whole point of Acts 18, and really the book of Acts, that God is doing extraordinary things through everyday people. And I think what God wants to show us in this chapter is regardless of your background, your race, and your profession, God has a plan for you. And it ends with people believing, following Jesus, and getting baptized. Even Paul, who we often put on a pedestal, was an everyday guy. Look at the next three verses. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. The first thing that God says to Paul is, do not be afraid. Do you know why? Because Paul was afraid. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul reminded them of how he came to them. He's like, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He would say it this way, he said, And I, this is 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Like you, you weren't impressed with how good of a preacher Paul was. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul was afraid. And, and he, he's already been beaten and rejected, and he's going to be re beaten and rejected again and again. And this is, this is very important. Paul is an everyday guy like you and I. He isn't Superman. He, he's scared, too, of what's coming for him, which should encourage you that Paul is an everyday guy with a nine-to-five tent-making job trying to serve God during a few of his free hours on Sunday and a fear of what following Jesus will get him into. And when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no extraordinary people, just everyday people that God uses to do extraordinary things through. And he has a plan for you and I too. The most important thing that you've got to see here is something that we'll circle back to. And that's how God is, he speaks to Paul. He gives him two promises and a command, and they are all for you and I today. What this entire chapter, and we'll get, more, we'll get to it in just a minute, is pointing you to is a very simple, that God accomplishes his plans through everyday people. His plan, to make disciples. His tools, you and I. And what we see in this yearbook, the theme, if you will, if you had to put a mantra on the cover, is this, that trading, that they traded their plans for God's plans. Can I, can I ask you a question? What plan are you living for now? What plan is guiding your decisions and influencing your relation? Like, what is it? Like, what are you living for? Is it your plan and how you want to see it play out, or is it God's plans? Can I just ask you this, church, as just a side note, and this may come across heavy, but I want you to know that I, I love you. If I were to ask you today, 
How have your plans changed because of the gospel? Like, how would you answer that? Like, let me, let me, let me rephrase it. If, if today you found out without a shadow of a doubt that this whole Jesus thing was one giant hoax, tomorrow morning you wake up, what's different? How, how are your plans different? How, how is it the way that you live different? How is it that you work different? How is it your, your marriage different? And listen, if you say, not much, like my calendar doesn't change much, my plans don't change much, listen, I love you enough to submit this to you, you may not know Jesus. Why? Because intimacy, the relationship, what we have with Jesus affects how we live our lives. It affects our calendars. It affects our plans. Let me give you a quick example. And God forbid this happen. But if something horrific happened to my wife today and she were to pass, like I wake up tomorrow, my life is different. My plans are different. My calendar's different. How I spend money is different. At the core, everything about me changes. Why? Because I, this relationship, because it's relational and there's intimacy. If tomorrow all of this was a wash and nothing changed, or very little change. Church, I love you enough to say I don't know if you know King Jesus. So, let's, let's look through this chapter and I want to show you three signs that help you evaluate whether or not God's plan is your plan. So, three signs that you're living out God's plan for your life. Three signs that you're living for more. You ready? Here we go. Number one, you invest your life into others, not yourself. You invest your life into others, not yourself. So Paul moves in with Aquila and Priscilla. He works with them, and we know from other places in Scripture that he develops a deep, deep friendship with them. That's why he takes them with him to Ephesus when he leaves in verse 18. By the time he writes his first letter to the Corinthian church, Aquila and Priscilla are leading a house church in their home. He mentions them in three letters. And then Aquila and Priscilla turn around and invest their life into a guy named Apollos, who shows up at the end of the chapter. He's preaching about Jesus, but he didn't yet know how the story ended and how it all came together. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they like pull up beside him and they begin to explain the things of God more accurately to them. And we don't know if this is like one conversation or if this is like a year-long journey, but they took their time from their tent building a job to pass on to this guy what they had learned from Paul. That's a sacrifice. Like, in that day, if you don't build tents, you don't get paid. But God put someone in front of them, and because God's plan was driving their decision-making, they went for it. God's plan? Make disciples of all nations. So, that's exactly what they went to do.
Great little thing here. Remember that one little note about Timothy, the intern, arriving in verse 5? Timothy, the whole time, is watching Paul invest in Aquila and Priscilla, who then invest in Apollos. So sometime later, Timothy gets a letter from Paul uh, that we know as of 2 Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this. He tells Timothy, he says, Hey, what you've learned from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, what you saw us doing, you do it. That's the plan. Give your life investing in others who invest in others. Pass along the faith. Think about like the yearbook, like how you're remembered is directly related to who and what you invested your time and energy into. So if it was a sport, then that's the, the images, that's the snapshot, that's what you valued. If it's chess club or if it's drama or, or, or cheerleading, whatever it is, whatever you invest, whoever and whatever you invest your time and energy into, that's what you remember for. I'm so grateful that as a young man that there were two men that gave up so much time and energy to invest in my life. One man, Danny Simmons, who literally knocked on my door when I didn't know who Jesus was and invited me into his life, not to a church service, but into his life and began to share with me who Jesus was, introduced me personally to King Jesus. And then later on, I'd have a man named Scott Kendig who would just invite me into his world and begin to teach me what it looks like to, to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to be a leader, how to love my wife, how to love my kids. And I did that not because we sat down for just a few moments a week, but because he invited me into his life and he taught me like it was a lab. Church, who are you passing along the faith to? Well, let me give you some obvious applications and how we do this. One, get involved in a house church. And I know we're, uh, you know, online here, but let us connect you with people. Let us fight really hard because community is so important. Maybe even lead one. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm the one person in Houston. We need to do this in Zoom. Let's get creative, but get involved in community. Can I just say this? We live in a fatherless generation. So many young women and men are growing up without a father. And here's the deal. I don't care how good a book is written. I don't care how good a podcast is or a YouTube video. Those things can never replace having a real father. Why? Because intimacy over information leads to investment. Church, it's hard to invest from a distance. So get involved, get close. It's in the proximity that we see investment. The second thing I would say, invest in the next generation. Our kids, invest in, in village, our kids' village. They need adults who love Jesus to come alongside of them in their most formative years and pass along what God has taught them. And maybe that's how you get involved. You fill out a connection card and say, I want to be part of the dream team. I want to invest in the next generation. Or really practical. Maybe you're a parent on this. Can I ask you, what plan are you living for? What plan are you living for? You want to know what it is? 
or how to find out, all you gotta do is pull your kids together and you ask them, what's important to our family? What does our family value? What plan are we living for? And they'll tell you, and it will probably be heartbreaking. Then, take a deep breath and you remember that Moses was a doubter, King David was an adulterer, the disciples were just total idiots, Paul was a scaredy cat and a murderer, and watch this, and God was willing to write a perfect story with imperfect people, that God wants to use you in his plan, okay? But the question is, are you willing to live for God's plan in your life and then pass along what he does in your life to others? Like, that's it. That's discipleship. It's choosing to give your life over to what God wants to do with your life, to make your decisions and build your relationships based upon what God has called you to, and then bringing others along for the ride. The discipleship is becoming who Jesus would be if Jesus were you, and then helping others to do the same. And if that sounds scary, perfect. That leads us to our second point, which is this. Do you find, this is a sign, do you find security in Christ, not in your plans? Do you find security in Christ, not in your plans? Verse nine says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So God gives Paul two promises, his presence and his security. He says, I'm with you, which is his presence. And then he says, no one will harm you. That's security. In the gospel, you and I have the same promises that God gave to Paul. You have his presence. Jesus promised in Matthew 28 that he'll be with you always. God's Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And Christ says that he'll be with you and he'll be in you. You not only have his presence, you have his security. Ephesians 1 tells us that when you surrender your life to Jesus, that you are sealed with Christ until he comes back. A couple years later, Paul, who, like, who just heard this promise, he tells Roman, the, the Romans in chapter 8, he says, What can separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like Paul is remembering that moment in Corinth where God spoke to him as he's writing this promise to the other believers. He is passing on to them what God gave to him. So many of us are searching after security, but you've been running from God's presence. Like a couple months back, Tilly, my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, was in this stage where she just didn't want me or my wife to change her diaper at all. She'd kick, she'd scream. I mean, it was like I was hurting her. And everything in my heart just wants to be like, Tilly, I love you. I'm not trying to rob you of joy. I'm not trying to steal something from you. Like, I'm trying to take care of you. I'm trying to clean you. I'm trying to make sure you don't get infected. Like, I love you. Like, I'm trying to make your life better. But sweetheart, if you run from me, 
If you run from my presence, I can't change the diaper. I can't clean you up or fix what's hurting. Church, when we run from the presence of Christ, we run from the very things that our hearts are looking for. When we run to our plans instead of His, we forfeit the security that He offers. That's what God is reminding Paul here, and that's what you and I need to hear today. Your security is found in Christ, not in your plans. The third and final point is this. The sign that you are living for more is you are risking enough to need God's help. You're risking enough to need God's help. These two promises here, they're attached to something, uh, aren't they? If you look at it, most of us just, for, for honest, we, most of us just want two promises. Um, we want it that God is with us and that he'll protect us. But that's all we want. Like God, but God never gives us his presence and his security without calling us to action. Like we want him to, we want, we want to hear him say, hey, I'm with you. No harm will come to you. Now you just go and do whatever it is that you want. But he never says that. God never gives us his presence and security without calling us to action. He tells Paul, he says, go on speaking for. That little word in verse 10, like that's huge. That, that's the reason, he says, why I'm with you and no harm will come, or, or, or harm, will, excuse me, and no one will harm you here in Corinth. He says, because I have many in this city who are my people, that God had a plan for Paul and God's provision for Paul was for his plan for Paul. Watch this. The provision of God is for the plan of God. And you don't get the provision without the plan. So here's my question. Is your commitment to the gospel causing you to risk anything? And I'm not saying you have to become a martyr or move overseas, but I'm telling you that God always, always causes people to circumstances that require them to trust him. And can you point to anywhere in your life where it's going to take God's help to accomplish his plan for your life? Where are you putting yourself out there? If not, you may just be living your plan with a religious candy coating on top of it. And sadly, many are in our city. Are you in a place where you are saying, God, this is what you've called me to, so I'm stepping out. And listen, I don't, I don't see how any of this is going to happen unless you provide, and that scares me, but I'm trusting you. Or, or God, I know I'm the only Christian in this company of 30 people, and I don't, I don't even know where to start, but I'm trusting you, and I'm willing to put myself out there because your plan is now my plan, and I don't know what it means, and, and, and that's scary, but I'm in. It's there when, when you're living for his plan that you experience his presence and his security. His plan, church, is so, so much better than yours anyway. I want to end with this. In your life, your plans are marked by one of three symbols. One of three symbols. 
It's either the symbol of the latter, that of success, prestige, constantly striving, or it's that of a couch, that of comfort and ease and desire, or it's that of the cross, that of surrendering your plans, your desires, your successes, and living for something bigger living for his glory and not your comfort or your status. Like that's, that's the cross. And every single one of you watching today, listening today, you are living for one of those three symbols. The question is just which one? And church, my hope is that you and I would say, like, we want to, to take our lives, our, our few days circling the sun, and we want to surrender and say, Jesus, we want to live for your plans because your plans are bigger and greater. And, and parents watching and listening today, think about this. What, what do your kids see that you value? When they look and they watch your life and they look at your calendar and they look at your schedule and your checkbook and, and how you balance and spend money, do they say, hey, mom and dad are living for the cross to live to make Jesus famous, investing in others, pushing forth the mission of God? Or do they go, no, mom and dad want to live comfortable lives. Mom and dad want to climb the ladder and keep up with the Joneses. Now listen, church, I am not saying, I am not saying that ha having stuff or, or being successful is bad. The truth is, but why do those things end up in and of themselves on us? Or do they point to Jesus? And church, my hope is that we don't live for these things and then we try to put a religious candy coating on them and to explain them. We'll go, no, well, listen, I'm trying to, you know, make it up to the top of the business because that's where I'll have influence and that's where I'll really get to change the world. No, check it out. Listen, if you're not living for his plans now, it's going to be way harder for you to live for his plans when you're here. Like, as followers of Jesus, our life is no longer about us. It's for him. So let me ask you, what plans are you living for? What next step is God calling you to? Maybe if you're on here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you take the first step in living for his plan by calling out to him and saying, God, I need you. And we would love to come alongside of you. We'd love to hold your hand through that and pray with you. So if you have any questions or talk to a house church leader or maybe a family member that loves Jesus, we would love to introduce you to Jesus and come alongside of you in the process because his plans are so much better. Or maybe you know Jesus, what's that next step? Is it getting more involved into community? Is it actually pouring into, you know, Kids Village at the rim? Is it is it maybe stepping out into a conversation with a coworker or a family member trusting God's plan is more important than your plan with him. Maybe it's leveraging your skill set for God's glory in the church. Or maybe it's starting to become radically generous and trusting and worshiping God with your gifts and your talents and your treasure and your time. Don't forget this, church. God uses everyday people 
with everyday problems and everyday situations for extraordinary things to accomplish his extraordinary plans. What is he calling you to? Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. I love this church. And my hope as a pastor, my desire is to see every single one of them living for something more and not settling for what this world has to offer, for their investment to make have a kingdom impact. So help us and show us Jesus. Well, church, I want to give you 120 seconds for you just to process two questions. What's God saying? And then what am I going to do about it? Church, I love you and can't wait to see you soon. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.